0: And welcome back to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. I'm Mark. I'm Rob. And we may have been excluded from the Queen's Birthdays Honours list, but it is our honour tonight to bring you Tim from the popular Missing Episodes podcast for a chat on the latest episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast.
1: That's right, gangsters, we are back, and as Rob announced at the beginning of the episode, we indeed have another special guest with us. He is, of course, uh, Tim from the Missing Episodes Doctor Who podcast. Hi,
2: Tim, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, chaps. What an honour to be on Australia's foremost, longest-running Doctor Who podcast. And uh, I can't remember another person being on from Britain, apart from JR, maybe. You join
0: an august pantheon. We've had David Howe, we've had... (laughs) We've had Andrew Smith. Have you? Richard Marsden. Oh, gosh. These are proper people. No, just as you are, Tim. They could all speak oh. for England at the Olympics, so we're hoping
2: that you can live up to that. Uh, those heady heights. I thought I'd listen to most of them, all of them, and I don't remember any of those <laughs> 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 We'll send you the links later, mate. (laughs) Help yourself. (laughs) Fine.
0: More on our trademark memorable interviews, clearly, Mark.
1: Exactly. So today we're going to have a bit of a mashup. today. We're going to have our Remember When segment. So we're going to take uh, Tim back to the old days. Well, not that old, because he's not that older than us. Uh, So talk about his memories of Doctor Who. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the omnipresent, omni-rumour. We're going to give that a bit of a shake of the tree and see what's happening with that.
2: Oh, I didn't know we were going to talk about that bloody thing. Are we? Can, is it too late to cancel? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. And
0: <laughs> He's out, Mark. He's out. Again.
2: <laughs> can I ask two questions? Of course you can. One, and forgive my ignorance, why is this podcast called 42 to Doomsday? Is that is that a joke I'm not getting? Is it a Douglas Adams thing or or what?
0: It is an increasingly uh, irrelevant title. When Mark and I uh, first come up with the idea, we were indeed uh, 42 in terms of our age. Oh! (laughs) So, I mean, obviously it's a play on Ford of Doomsday. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that it was me who came up with the idea, isn't it, mate?
1: Well, you had the more sensible suggestion where I wanted to go with Doable Barkers until that uh, book came out, and then uh, we thought we'd better not. So, yes, 42 through Doomsday is it, but I think we're going to have to have a rebrand by the end of the year because I think we're going to turn the big 5A, both of us. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: Wow. Mm, I know, it's terrible. And your second question, Tim.
2: You know that big city at which you both live in a suburb of? how do you pronounce it melbourne do the second
1: part for me after the mel ben you guys over there go born all my relatives go melbourne
2: ah that's what i'm trying to get to grips with you see yeah. i whenever i have to say it you know when we used to have mike on a on the old podcast i mm. used to say melbourne melbourne is it ben or is it burn more the latter Ben, melbourne great thanks though mark you, you live in the
0: salubrious eastern <laughs> suburbs of uh, melbourne <laughs> Uh, how do you pronounce it over there whilst you're <laughs> quaffing you know I don't know what you quaff but you're quaffing something while you're saying
1: it uh, I like to go by it's Aboriginal
0: name overly
2: expensive <laughs> oh
1: I see Melbourne I always say Melbourne okay A bit like Erinsborough it's the same
2: ah yeah um, well you see Smith and Howe didn't give you this sort of interview dynamite did they that's good I'm doing well <laughs> but they never asked the incisive questions though so we, we appreciate it didn't even
1: it, ask so. our names we just got on with it <laughs>
0: We, we, did, we did what all colonials do and tugged
2: the forelock and then just sort of
0: uh, fell into line. So
2: No, there'll be none of that. I mean, if you want to swap, that's fine. <laughs>
1: Let's go back, Tim. Let's just set the controls back to the, uh, to the old days. And remember when you uh, became a Doctor Who fan or your memories of when you first saw it? T- talk us through that, Tim.
2: Well, as it happens, I am 42. The
1: coincidences
0: pile up. You should start a podcast.
2: (laughs) So I was born in 79, but my memories are more of the family setting, to be honest, Um, Mm. in that I have two older brothers and they were immersed in it. There's family photographs of my brother dressed up as Tom Baker with this hideous plastic Tom Baker mask on, trying to strangle my dad and stuff. And there were annuals and toys around, uh, you know, like a giant robot i remember so it was more of a sort of family setting that i first remember but yeah absolutely immersed in it once a year we'd have a a, a summer trip to blackpool
1: oh beautiful
2: which is about 40 miles from where we lived and i have clear memories of screaming my head off as a 32 year old as a four year old (laughs) or something um, not wanting to be dragged through that TARDIS door into the Doctor Who exhibition. And uh, I can remember vividly, you go down some stairs and there was a Dalek yes. at the bottom ready to greet you. And I found it absolutely, you know, trouser browning stuff. So it was very much part of the my DNA, I feel like. Watching TV, I have a a vague memory of that that machine in Kinder. And I must have been three years old. You know the thing that Adric ends Mm. up in. But I just remember that machine. And then memory-wise, I can remember with real clarity everything from like the king's demons onwards. Like watching it and I can remember being sat in the living room with the 1970s furniture and I can remember that where the TV was situated and how the how the TV moved around the room as the (laughs) years went by so I can remember where the TV was where Sylvester McCoy was on versus when Colin Baker was on so it was just everywhere and all the kids at school were into it and I found myself when I've been reflecting on this last night in preparation for this wondering if that still happens but judging by your last podcast, I'm, I'm guessing it, it doesn't happen so much. <laughs> but um, I used to have nightmares about Daleks, and I can remember vivid nightmares of, of the multicolour movie Daleks chasing me up and down the street and, you know, hiding in silence, trying to muff, muffle my own breath from these Daleks. Uh, and... I guess I was about 10 when it got cancelled, but that didn't matter because I didn't have a particular era, I didn't have a particular doctor, because when I was 10, the VHS range was well underway. I had a birthday party around there where we rented Pyramids of Mars from Bolton (laughs) Library, and you know all the kids were sat around watching it. So that's my sort of earliest memories, and then when I ticked past 10 years old, I started getting a little bit more into it. So, reading Target books, that sort of thing.
1: What books sort of stick out when you're reading them? What titles?
2: Oddly, I can remember being off sick from school. And I can remember reading, funnily enough, and no one ever says these two, but The Celestial Toymaker and The Gunfighters while lying in my parents' bed. And then... Uh, feigning illness for an extra couple of days (laughs) so I could (laughs) so I could read a few more those two I can remember actually reading but I must have had uh, 20 or 30 of them very very shortly after that I I didn't like the idea that some of them had different titles to the televised stories and, and cover detail bothered me because you know to, a, to me at that age that was sort of more important trying to get mm. it in order and understand mm. where it was as a representation of the TV series than the quality of the books and I'm embarrassed by that now.
0: We're all embarrassed by that Tim I think I think we all sort of to, to greater and lesser <laughs> extents uh, had that sort of uh, that gene within us the desire to have everything sort of line up.
2: Yeah I used to get really upset that Doctor Who and the Cybermen wasn't the first <laughs> one so I sort of uh, refused to read The Tenth Planet, and uh, for weird reasons that I don't understand. Yeah. Um, because I'd read, I'd read Doctor Who and the Cybermen, so that was going to be the first Cybermen one come hell or high water. And then things got slightly more serious, I guess. I joined the, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society uh, and started nagging my parents to... Drag me around flea markets and things to get to pick up more books and memorabilia
0: and 16 millimeter film prints as well i'm sure
2: well there's a story i can tell about that actually there's a guy in in a place called bygone days in bolton and he said um like with a rub of the nose he said i've got every every doctor who on video even even the missing ones and um I can't remember the price, but uh, I went away with my parents and we talked about it and we just basically, they wouldn't fund me buying these dodgy VHS tapes off off some random bloke in Mm. a market. But I've often wondered what exactly it was because it predated Loose Cannon. Mm. So I've no idea what that would have been. It might have been him at home with hand puppets or something.
1: (laughs) The Tony Hart animation studio was setting up, you know, doing
2: Dr. Morph. And that's probably around the time I learned about missing episodes as well. But um, I was reading, uh, I think it might have been a Haining book or something like that, where it said all these stories don't exist. And I felt sick to the bottom of my stomach. Um, but you soon got over it because those were in the days where the whole universe of Doctor Who was still out there and the VHS range was fairly young. So, so while I had this nagging, horrible knowledge that they didn't exist and never would there was still so much I hadn't seen. About 92, 93, I I was subscribing to DWM, and we went to, my parents drove me from Manchester to London to go to the Museum of the Moving Image, uh, which is where Tom Baker filmed the Shada uh, thing. Beat you, cock. (laughs) Uh, There was a magnificent Doctor Who display there. Mm. I don't know when that was, that must have been early 90s, I guess Tom Baker years was... About
1: 93, 94, because when I went back to the UK, I went and saw it there, so I think it was about 90, even about maybe 92, 93, it was sort of going towards the end of 94, I think it sort of started to slow down a bit, but I remember going there as well.
2: And then something happened, because I was trying to work out when I lost interest, and (laughs) I didn't buy any of 1995's VHSs, so that was the Switch from being a nerdy, comfortable-in-my-own-skin teenager to becoming a, a self-conscious teenager who was interested in girls and stuff, who, who was too embarrassed by my shameful hobby. And I abandoned it completely for years and years and years.
1: But you kept the stuff, though, didn't you?
2: No, not really. I disposed of the VHSs via um, wheelie bin. <laughs> Oh. And um, to my horror and regret, when I was young, you used to get ex library Doctor Who books, hardbacks. Yes. And they'd have a big 1P or 2P or 5P written in the, in the inside cover. Um, my grandmother used to get me five at a time, sort of thing. So I had loads of uh, W.H. Allen hardbacks, all, albeit X library. And I binned the lot. Ow.
1: <sighs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a repeat of our last podcast, Rob. What is it with hardbacks?
2: Yeah. And uh, years later, when I started collecting hardbacks again, I realized how much uh, not only what lovely things of sentiment they were, but I cost myself a small fortune there. <laughs> I did keep one or two things. I had like um, an original Muller, Doctor Who, and the Zabi red hardback. So, one of the first three novelizations, I kept that. Um, and then sold it later on (laughs) for like £100 um, and then regretted that because when I was collecting again, I needed to get another copy. Uh, But yeah, no, I completely abandoned it, chaps, to my eternal shame. I wasn't even aware by 2005 that there was a a reboot coming and I only found out when I was at a conference, funnily enough, in Blackpool, and I saw a big billboard with um, Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper on it. And I just sort of shrugged my shoulders. I did tune in for Rose, and I watched about half of that first series, and then abandoned it again. But at the time, I mean, I'm in the hospitality industry, and I was working very heavily in pubs and bars at the time. And so I worked a lot of Saturdays. Uh, I I didn't get the opportunity to see it. And um, I didn't really have any interest. Now, the bit where my story goes a little bit dark... Ooh is in my mid-twenties, I would say I was very occasionally sober. Mm. Um, And I would say that if I had a sober period, it felt like I was in the matrix, you know, that my brain was working properly and it was unusual, but I was very heavily immersed in pub culture and would often not get back home till five, six, seven in the morning. Uh, So I worked in bars, you drink in bars, and so on. Mm. And I was doing that for about five or six years and I was on the verge of having a very serious problem and indeed I have friends or had friends who got a very very serious health problem as a result. And so in about 2009 or 2008 I thought "I've I've got to sort my stuff out. So what I did was I rented a flat which I could not afford and the idea of not being able to afford it was I'd have to stop boozing and so I was sat (laughs) in this flat sort of by myself thinking god what do I do if I don't go to the pub so I was a bit lost and I decided that I would just to sort of stop me boozing I'd reinvest time in my childhood hobbies so that's what I did so I, I bought a load of stamps off uh, ebay and had a look at those and uh, ended up becoming a bit of a stamp dealer for a while because i realized you could buy a big album of stamps and break it down and sell them on for a, a, a small profit i started doing coins i had a go at jigsaws because these are all the exciting childhood hobbies mm. i had um i started catching up on new who so uh via perfectly legal means i started finding i think it was up to about season uh, series three by that point and i started catching up on that and i thought gosh this is good the third and the fourth series I, i really got into and then um i found a copy of the invasion and the animation must have been out about then and i i found that and watched that and enjoyed it Uh, And that was sort of pootling along, and I was was sort of sorting out my life. And and then I started learning how to play poker. You'll see where this is going in a second. And I got very, very, very good at poker. I ended up paying off all my debts. I bought a load of Lego. So I've got Technic Lego bulldozers and everything all over where I am now that I built in that time. And the other thing I did is I bought every single Doctor Who DVD going. And a copy of White, Oh because yes. that just came up in the recommendations, and that was 2010. And I play tournament poker, and the, the worst thing you can do when you're playing tournament poker is actually pay attention to what you're doing, because then you start to think you're uh, you're a hot shot and can do all sorts, so you need a distraction. So what would happen on my computer monitor is that I'd have three tournaments going that I'm barely watching, and then I'd have a fourth window open with something. And I must have watched the entire run of Classic Who again like once every two months churning it over. And from that point on in about 2010 I was entirely hooked again. Um, And I read Wiped and practically the moment I put down Wiped I started thinking, well I can find this stuff, this has got to be easy. So I started going on the internet and contacting film dealers and things, uh, just very soft inquiries, you know, trying to find the lie of the land and that that led me to the missing episodes forum which i joined in 2010 never having been on a forum in my life and that's when things started getting very interesting so i was very lucky in a way in that i was out of doctor who for years and years and years and years and i hadn't thought twice about a missing episode or what might i hadn't missed them at all and as soon as i started reading into it things started heating up didn't they they did
1: it was a perfect jumping on time wasn't it really you know when you went through the whole classic who you rewatched it was that including recons as well or just all the, the existing stuff
2: yeah it was yeah wow recons would you believe I had a sweet spot when I got to a certain run of episodes I won and when I wasn't watching those episodes I wouldn't win I don't know how that is it made me relax or it made me feel just in the groove or it was just complete coincidence but basically this is a bizarre conversation when I started season 8 and season 9 I was winning big time and um, this final table on every every mistake you make could cost you thousands of dollars and in my the other half of the screen was Day of the Daleks (laughs) (laughs) when you got to season 23 and 24
1: you went broke was that right
2: (laughs) yeah absolutely I was just losing the rest of the time but the key (laughs) was when I wasn't watching seasons 8 and 9 not to lose as much as I would be winning mm. <laughs> during during those two seasons. The Perlue era is obviously very rich in many ways. Yeah, it's, it, it must be the sweet spot, mm. I think. When
0: you got back into the show, yeah. did it evoke in you the same sort of feelings you had when you were younger or because you were older, was it a different thing that you, sort of, uh, you got uh, hooked by?
2: It's a combination of two things, isn't it? It's, it's great nostalgia for your youth and all those sort of memories that I was... Badly describing a little while ago, but also a sort of amazement that they'd successfully relaunched the show, that it was a real high-quality product and enjoyable in its own terms. Blink, when I'd watched Blink, and I know everyone rants about Blink, but I was sort of actively sending that to people, saying, this is why I'm into Doctor Who. It was completely disingenuous, of course. I mean, I'd never show anyone the gunfighters, but... um, it was a real high quality product with with great writing and it was funny it hit the right sort of emotional level for me the the season finales also always came across as as reaching too far and always a bit of an anticlimax but that didn't matter i mean i was just really impressed and sort of proud as well of how good it was i was watching it live by halfway through or towards the back end of series 4 and i persevered with it live until um, Halfway through Capaldi, because it just started not being to my taste, I will say, diplomatically. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I had a, I had a good run at it, and it was excellent, really good. But the, the, the good times didn't last long. I mean, I started getting uh, less interested towards... Series 6, I didn't enjoy at all. I thought it was too bogged down in story arc and its own cleverness. Mm. But it was always buoyed. It was always buoyed by Moffat's dialogue, I felt. So I really enjoyed the sort of frothy champagne dialogue between Rory, Amy, the Doctor. Matt Smith was absolutely remarkable in the role, but I didn't enjoy the stories. There was enough there to keep me going. Mm. Mm. And then I was very excited for Peter Capaldi. I was there at the uh, announcement show oh. Oh, yeah. with rumor people. How did you get tickets for that? Well, somebody put on Gallifrey Base, I've got tickets, who wants to go? And that was a chap called Charles Daniels. Oh, yes. Who was very active in 2013 on the forum. So me, a chap called Giles Sparrow, who's on uh, the Something Who podcast, and and one or two others who probably wouldn't enjoy me referring to them as Omniruma people. We all went and met Charles, got these tickets and went in and we were all sat there because this this must have been it's August 2013 yeah. Was it August? yeah it was August yeah they had a big screen at the front it was a magnificent occasion it was really great and they had this big screen at the front where they would show the VT feed so there was obviously lots of classic who being shown and we were watching like hawks saying oh, was that was that abominable snowman episode 2 or <laughs> was it abominable snowman episode 1 sort of thing we were primed then for an announcement of of 90 missing episodes mm uh-huh. But it turns out that that's not true. When you went to the live show, talk us through mm. that experience and when the big reveal happened. What... I think it was Elstree Studios which we had to find and, and there was a long queue outside and as you went in you had to put your, your phones in a bag and then you go through this rather creaky old studio that needs a desperately needs a lick of paint and uh, into this these crusty old theater chairs then you saw the studio set and the first tv i'd seen live since i was a child and it was really fascinating seeing just how professional zoe ball was and and you know you take someone like her for granted when when she's been on tv and radio for the last 20 years but watching her you know pump herself up and and get in front of the cameras and, and really professionally deliver that show. That was a takeaway point. There was a lot of anticipation in the audience. We didn't know who it was going to be. The show was, was great. It flew by. Oh, there was, a, there was a Burke sat in front of me who wouldn't put his Blackberry down. Do you know who that was? Well, how would you know who that was? It was Dan Hall ah. of ah. Pup. <laughs> so all the way through he was looking at his his phone and it's very similar to someone having their phone on in in uh in the cinema in front of you that was quite distracting and yeah it just got to the reveal and we genuinely didn't know who it was but we were all hoping for for capaldi and he came out and we cheered the roof off so it was an amazing experience it's slightly bizarre that everybody there or in our group anyway was primed thinking there might be an announcement of 90 missing episodes there at the same time how naive does that sound now Mm. uh but yeah absolutely wonderful experience and then we all went to a pub nearby and we got the tables together and there were people like uh, jeremy bentham there and all the talk was about Nothing about Peter Capaldi. That was just a nice thing that had just happened. All the talk was about the Omni 16, Sixteen twenty people gathered around all these tables, pushed together, just talking about missing episodes, which was nice, which was interesting. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting day. It was good.
0: Given that you're a, uh, a fan from such a young age, to to actually be present at uh, you know an important moment in the show's history, you know they they you the fans were given effectively a live A live broadcast of the announcement of a new (laughs) Doctor, which is, I think was unheard of at that point. It was, wasn't it?
2: Well, more more of the same, really, Rob. A moment of reflection that the hobby I'd had as a nerdy kid that I quickly abandoned as soon as I wanted to be presentable to girls, which I still haven't managed, by the way. (laughs) Um, But that nerdy, low-budget hobby that I was immersed in as a child a a sort of moment of reflection that it was now this triumph and it was having this live broadcast on BBC One I guess Um, and a feeling of pride really because you feel ownership of it don't you you feel Mm. that's your thing Um, and a a moment of connection with with other fans of all ages who were there you know from, from your Jeremy Benthams to there were there were I can't remember young kids being there, but there were certainly teenagers in the audience, and they were all cosplaying and stuff. So yeah, it it was just a, a really proud and pleased and happy moment.
1: Do you still watch it now, Tim, or not really?
2: No. Someone asked me on Twitter recently, and they said you're not a, a not my Doctor Hate Watcher or whatever they said, and I said, well, no, I've I've sort of hated it for the last eight years or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> When something is going in a direction that isn't your cup of tea, I think loyalty can only last so long. And I have watched everything up to uh, The Last Dalek Special at some point, and I'm sure I will in the future, but I have no interest in, in the current product. That's by virtue of what I think is a abysmally poor writing that doesn't seem to have any sort of uh, tension or interesting plotting or anything like that they've hit it a few times i mean i was watching the the haunting of villa Diodati, and i felt something in that that i hadn't felt since i was a kid and that was fear so there's a bit where the was he called ashad the Cyberman. he's marching through that villa and there's a woman hiding in like a tea chest or something holding a child and i thought that was exceptionally good doctor who i thought that's what it's supposed to be about scaring kids uh, and making them hide behind the sofa but it just feels all very flat to me mm. and pointless and uh, while I admire Jodie Whittaker in other things I, I, I feel she's miscast unfortunately I and I don't think the story writing is very dynamic at all. Very often you end up with with The Doctor and the three companions all running up and down the same corridor behind them, whereas I thought the ABC of Doctor Who (laughs) story writing was you have companions so you can split them up and create tension in situations and get them in danger and have to get them out of it. And other odd decisions which I'm not very connected to, and I I, I appreciate I'm watching as a 40-odd-year-old, but... um, they would lead in with a storyline about Ryan's dyspraxia and then do nothing with it which felt very strange and then sort of dabble with it a little bit and and I didn't really understand that the same with Yaz uh, you know they they've dabbled with Yaz's uh, sort of mental health but they haven't really bottomed that out and it, it I found I found it quite boring to be honest um it's just not what I want to watch I'm I'm delighted that other people enjoy it but it's not it's not what i think of as as doctor who which is uh you know a a ripping yarn with exciting ideas and um, uh, even an interesting monster of the week it's just sort of lost everything that i'm interested in and become more a a piece about i don't know uh sort of half-baked companion stories and a doctor who isn't very doctorish in her performance and it's unfortunate because you know she is the first female and she's going to get tarred with that with that brush but even reading around twitter now it it seems like the bbc is trying to hide her almost you know they won't stick out any trailers i've heard she's not on the new annual that's right the first time Mm. ever Mm. where is the promotion for this series. Where is it?
0: Yeah, it's non-existent, isn't it?
2: And um, merchandising is is through the floor, which which tells its own tale. I think the messaging is a bit on point for me as a 40-year-old bloke. <laughs> I don't feel I want to watch something to be messaged at the way they're doing it as well. So it's just a it's just not something I'm interested in. I'm delighted that there are people who who find it it really it really helps them or or entertains them, but it's just not for me, and I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with other people liking it. And I'm fine not watching it. I'm also fine not jumping up and down on Twitter about it and letting people get on with it if they enjoy it. I've just lost interest mm. a little bit.
0: And just before we wrap this section up, though, Tim, would you say overall, mm. with all your experiences with the show, uh, from a child up until yeah. this point, it's been a net
2: positive? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Just because I've not been interested in the last four or five years, especially, uh, it hasn't been doing it for me. That still leaves the rest of it even when it's bad and because classic who sort of is more a natural watch for me because of the added nostalgia value it's also positive to watch when it's awful um and cheap and nasty and 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 working out why it doesn't work and working out the stuff behind the scenes and all of that 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 stuff so even you know what would be my least favorite series are well season 24 is a bit of a punch bag i think that has great positive points but i'm interested in watching it all the time and reading about it because you want to know why it doesn't quite click Hmm. early graham williams i don't get on with i think that's really poor stuff some of it you know underworld oh yeah uh, and that sort of stuff the invisible enemy i don't get on with but then it's interesting to find out why it doesn't work so even when it's bad it's a positive experience uh, I don't have that interest in the last few years' worth of production because it's not my era. But the
0: wheel turns yeah. and turns and turns, so maybe one day something will attract you back.
2: It does, and I'm not saying never again, and I'm not saying I won't watch what's just been on most recently at, at Christmas. But the other thing is, it's never on the telly, is it? No, it's barely on the
0: television. It's hardly, You can hardly call it a television programme. Yeah. So lacking is it in its you know, st- uh, screen appearances.
2: Yeah, and it's on really late as well, and so... If if figures are declining, and I know that's um I know that's a a, a, a whole debate in itself, but is it any wonder that this child friendly T V show isn't gaining traction? Because since series seven it's never sat it's never had a full run in, in one year it feels like. Um so. You know, by the time your five-year-old starts watching it, you're not going to have any loyalty by th- through their five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old because they are rapidly growing up at that point.
1: And there's so many gap years as well, isn't there, really? But the, time, the time they're five, next time it's on, they're probably 27. <laughs>
2: yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: they haven't... Um... Captured that interest, and at least keep saying, in the old days, we had uh, until Michael Gray got got there regular series every year. We knew it was going to start, we knew it was just going to happen. Yeah, it's a bit sad, isn't it? Really,
2: it is sad. Uh, I just hope they know what they're doing. But even if it were to end now, it's still been on for 16 yeah. years.
1: Yeah, it's a very good run Ran and
2: off, which is a bloody good run for anything, isn't it is
1: it? absolutely. Yeah, I think they might just get it, limp it to the 60th, and then
2: take it out the back and
0: shoot it temporarily (laughs) (laughs) put the screen up around it and just uh pull pull the bolt gun out
2: it's such an unlimited format in what it can do Mm. is that it's never something that will completely go away i i think it will always be written about or uh, there will be stories written for it or it will be revisited even if it, they stop it now and they, they give it a rest. It will still be picked up at some yes. point. I'm quite philosophical about it. I mean, I, I don't really mind what happens to it now because we have all of this rich history to fall back on.
0: And part of that rich history, Mark is the omni-rumour, isn't it?
1: Yes. Now, Tim, you've actually got your video on this conversation, and I'm noticing when you're taking a sip of tea, you have somebody on
2: your mug. Oh my good gosh, was I using that mug?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were using that mug, and I thought he must have got that from the new Indy 5 film, but uh, no, you haven't. You've Describe it for our listeners, please.
2: It was a recent birthday of mine, and, and some kind soul sent me a, a mug, so... As you go from the handle around, there's a picture of a chap dressed up as Indiana Jones, and he's holding a film can closed. The backdrop is a map of Africa, and then in the middle it says, (laughs) Expect the Unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) And then when you get round to the other side, the film can is is being held open. And this was a gift sent to me purely to wind me up, and I I genuinely didn't realise I was using that mug. (laughs) Um, And... Do you have show notes? We can have show notes, yes. I'll put the tweet of the unboxing video. I'll, I'll send you that and, and you can yes. link to that.
1: I was hoping it would actually, when you finish your cup of tea, it would just say, you know, expect the unexpected, mate, or something <laughs> like that. Well, onwards to Wigan.
2: <laughs> that was sent as a, a happy <sighs> birthday wind up. person who sent it was so worried about my reaction to having him on a mug. <laughs> that he was messaging my other half saying, is he going to throw this out the window when it gets here or what? No, but I love it. It's very funny.
1: It is very funny because, let's be honest, he is the centre of some of the Omni Rumour
2: shenanigans, would you say? Yes, was. Was? Are we allowed to past tense it now?
0: I think we can. In terms of Missing Episodes, the first time I learned about Missing Episodes was through, I think, the, the fabled DWM Winter Special and then later some of the Haining books, as you indicated, Tim. Uh, Mark, when did you discover Missing Episodes?
1: I think it was 84, 85. One of my teachers, I think it was primary school or high school, he was a big Doctor Who fan. He had this printout of uh, Doctor Who episodes, and he said, well, this is missing, this is missing, and I'd say... What do you mean missing? He'd said, look, they've been you know, destroyed or burnt or or whatever. So, of course, you go back and read the 82 Winter Special and, and read more. And then I think it really hit home when um, that Haining book, The 25 Glorious Years, was it called? It had that chapter on the missing episodes.
2: So it, it did, did it? Okay.
1: I just kept reading that chapter going, oh, my God, this is terrible but given the vandalism of the other television shows I think it was just part of the course back then
2: wasn't it unfortunately okay I'll dig out the Haining book I didn't realize it was the 25 glorious years maybe that's where I first read it
0: I have a copy of the 25 glorious years on the floor just bear with me a moment while I just reach over one sec
2: apparently when Haining was
0: writing it he would actually uh, say Ian
1: Levine had found this Ian Levine had found this and John Nathan Turner bless him got his little red uh, marker out and said not nah, remove all the Ian Levine references."
2: Oh really? Gosh. Did they have a big fallout after Attack of the Cybermen or something?
1: They had a big fallout over the casting of Bonnie Langford. And I think even before ah. then when uh, Ian Levine got up at a convention and said the fight's not over, it was only going to be 20 episodes, and then J&T said, you have no right to say that, this is my show, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Gosh. when J&T wrote that Companions book, uh, he gave it to Ian to edit, and Ian just says, I can't do this anymore, and they fell out, and of course Bonnie Langford was the... Uh, the crushing blow, so they went from uh, friends to uh, enemies, unfortunately. Wow.
2: It is spectacular how he's managed to singularly never fly under the radar <laughs> during his entire involvement with <laughs> with all of it, isn't it?
1: And there's an article in, in this uh, magazine in the UK I, I was a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, and Ian... Bless him, had written all about all his, you know, his music and everything like that. And they said, what show would you like to get rid of? And he said, Coronation Street. But also Doctor Who, because it shouldn't be played by a woman. And Chris Chibnall's done an appalling job. Of- so you can't say he's not true to form. <laughs> Using the national press to have another go. So, uh, yeah, bless him.
0: I have found the chapter. I'll, I'll just read one little section of it. Uh, it's about uh, page 199, Fact Fans, if, of your copy. Uh, The second paragraph goes, It was the black and white stories of William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton which suffered this fate. As a result of a decision, the corporation now admits it regrets. But all is not quite lost, for thanks to some amazing rediscoveries and the dedicated hunting of archivists and fans, a considerable number of apparently lost episodes have come to light once again. But although this may seem encouraging, as of January 1988, just over 115 episodes, all of those from the show's first six years, are still unaccounted for and then he uh, goes on to mention Jeremy Bentham uh, has been investigating so um, it was, of, of missing episodes were of enough notes back in the late 80s to garner a, an extended coverage in a, in a book like uh, 25 Glorious Years with 115 yeah. missing at that point
2: I remember reading that and then and then maybe doing some further reading and finding out what was yes. missing and, and the gut punch of, of Power of the dialects not being there and a 12 part Dalek story not being there and the next significant thing that happened uh, around that time was uh, I I got bought for Christmas the House Stammers Walker the 60s book oh yes and I read that to death that was the best book I had out of all uh, of everything it was my favorite item I think in, in in you know when I was eleven or twelve or whenever that came out, so I was fairly immersed in black and white Doctor Who from that point, and I guess Tomb came back at, at that point as well.
1: Yeah, ninety two, I think it was out. Yeah, it got released in ninety two. Yeah,
2: so I, I I was aware that was found before I bought it, uh, and uh, you know I was I was. Queuing at W H Smiths, waiting for it to open <laughs> to go and pick up my copy or whatever. Uh, so I was definitely immersed and aware of missing episodes at that point, and could probably could probably list them off. Uh, so yeah, I went a little bit crazy in the late 90s with regards to missing episodes.
0: I was buying. There were fanzines that were coming out that were covering um, covering the whole topic, and uh, and uh, I remember. Uh, in one 30 minute drive I had a friend in the, in the car in the passenger seat and I all I did I didn't talk about anything else except missing episodes of Doctor Who and my theories and whatever and it's I'm, I'm still surprised he actually is <laughs> still my friend it was just it, it just sometimes it does get its hooks into you I suppose if you're a certain personality type like me um, and at that point I was I just I was gagging for any information about it and that was at that point that I I rang the ABC archives up in Sydney about um, the perspective show and see for computer and those fragments of power of the Daleks that were found. Um, ah. Yeah, it does, it does get its hooks into you. And, uh, I don't, and we saw a lot of that when the Omni rumour exploded into view. I think I, well, it, it, it's hard to believe it's, mm. you know, it's seven or eight years li- uh, ago, but it was 2013 really when it just sort of really blew up. Would that be about right? Or, or was it earlier? Was it earlier for some?
2: I joined MEF in 2010 and there were these things called the Africa search threads where Paul was very helpfully saying where they checked uh, and Phil Morris had been mentioned uh, but he was very much a, a mystery figure and I was avidly reading those threads and then I got a message in 2012 from a member there and he said something's been found and he actually thought i don't know why but he actually thought that two episodes had been found in australia so this was post the two episodes turning up in 2011 um but that got the antenna twitching for sure and then it blew up proper in in uh, Easter in 2013. And I'm struggling to put my finger on precisely what happened. Oh, I've got it. Doctor Who Online. They said something had been recovered and there will be a non... Oh, they teased it, didn't they? They said there will be a non-new mm. series announcement shortly. And, mm. of course, I found out at that point because I wasn't in fandom at the time, that previous years previously they'd said Web of Fear had been recovered. So that's when things started in earnest. Uh, it was uh, Easter 2013. And then another mysterious thing happened over on the Missing Episodes Forum around then. In the, I know who it was, but I, I mm. won't name them to save any embarrassment. But they'd written to uh, Phil Morris. And Phil Morris had written a reply which said, uh, what is your business interest in this? We have tens of thousands of cans of film, and uh, but we're not sure what's there because uh, records have been destroyed in a archive fire. And the email was signed off by pamela cash (laughs) and that got posted on the missing episodes forum and there was lots of talk about bicycling hubs which is the notion that uh in order to bicycle film prints around africa you would have a hub and then use that as the base and send them out from there or from there to another station to another station that was the first awareness of, of movement of film prints and Paul Venezes deleted that thread, shut it down and deleted it. So you can't go back and look. And the answer to that email later on is that Mr. Morris, God bless him, was winding people up. So uh, it was a joke. He was echoing what happened to Hong Kong. So in the 1980s, I think, uh, Hong Hong Kong had a Archive fire, so they didn't know what they had, which may have resulted in them doing an audit, which ended up producing Tomb of the Cybermen. And Phil Morris was aping that story and signing it off with the joke name Pamela Cash. Uh, so that happened, and the Africa search threads had stopped by then, but people had started asking questions and at some point after that Easter there's a chap called David Stead who had a hand in uh, the return of Wheel in Space 3 and he also actually was the guy who found Tomb of the Cybermen on the BBC uh, loading bay I think and the next explosive thing that happened was he went on a rant on the Missing Episodes forum about how to treat what Paul Venezes writes. In my mind, that's what happened next. And he threw him under the bus, and lots of posts were deleted. And he said, you've got to be careful with what he says. He's always trying to, words to the effect of allegedly, etc. but you've always got to be careful what he says. There's often a hidden meaning. And he told a story about David Stead had found a color copy of one of the Death to the Daleks episodes. And Paul had insisted in David Stead's view of concocting an unnecessary cover story so that happened so then the scrutiny of of what had been said started because also Ian Levine said much to much the same uh that you've got to really treat what Paul Venezis writes with a fine tooth comb and that scrutiny started and then it was just sort of an exponential growth in activity from then and suspicion and there was definitely something in the air
0: so, Tim, at this point, can we divine what was actually going on in the background based on the behaviour of Phil Morris yeah. and Paul Venizos? Were they tr- well? Was Venizos attempting to keep a lid on everything for a particular reason? And what was Morris doing, sending out, you know, joke
2: emails? Do we know? Tackling the last question first, God only knows. I can't get my head around it, but you've got to bear that in mind when we get to the conclusion of this saga, in that very early on uh, Phil was sending out wind-up information. Very early on in this. So I've been talking about this for years with various people involved and plenty of this has been written about by the players themselves on the forums. So what follows is really an approximation of what i think happened based on those conversations what's been posted online uh, but let's let's put it all under the umbrella of allegedly what what was happening in the background is that in 2011 phil was in africa and it's debatable what stage of the search he was at but in 2011 he was trying to find the rest of the web of fear Uh, and i say the rest well rather than episode three and i could talk for a long time about that but unhelpfully at that point what happened uh, in 2011 is terry Burnett showed up with two episodes of black and white doctor who bbc then who were very in control of the doctor who brand because they had this runaway success on their hands started getting involved and what Phil Morris was up to in Africa I don't think that was a welcome intrusion necessarily um so just to just to break that down a little bit more in my to my mind Paul Venezes was the Mr. Missing Episodes who was controlling this global search and he was using every resource available to him. So he was using Sue Molden, who was working for FIAT uh, or IFTA, the UN Film Archive body. Uh, They were doing a top level search in these African archives. And if if IFTA knock on your door, you tell them what you have. That was the remote approach. And I I think my feeling is that the methodology was that Sue Sue Molden would knock on the door and find out what they had. But then, belts and braces, Phil Morris would then go boots on the ground and physically check. And you see that manifested on Missing Episodes Forum where, when they're talking about Singapore, they say, that well, they've checked twice. The first check was Sue Malden. The second check was Phil Morris boots on the ground. And all of this hive of activity was going on, coordinated by Paul Venezes. Uh, and, you know, Richard Bignall was in... Cavisham looking through the paperwork and they were on the hunt for the the sales top sheets which dictated which told them which story was sold to where you had john Preddle, who was chipping in mapping out broadcasts around the world and yeah paul was in charge of this operation to my mind and i think once phil got into difficulty with uh an episode or two or five or six going missing uh i can talk about that in a sec i think there started to be some distance there and then cut to 2013 and we have a situation where everybody everybody and their dog everyone at the bbc producers involved in the show Everybody in the restoration team, everybody at Doctor Who magazine, and so on, are all talking about a substantial, substantial find of missing episodes, of which the first tranche of releases will be Marco Polo, Enemy of the World, and The Web of Fear. The the reason I keep saying phil morris was having difficulty in nigeria trying to find missing missing episodes is because paul has said online paul Venezis has said on gallifrey base that uh and i fleshed this out in my own conversations is that when enemy and web were found in nigeria not necessarily initially eyeballed by phil morris allegedly he wasn't there and so they were shipped out to him and the first batch that turned up was I don't know how many but it was I have the impression it was less than half of them that became known as the Baker Box uh, saga so chap on rhubarbs woke up in 2013 and went Phil Morris so that's the guy I was talking about a couple of years ago who received a parcel at a a port in Liverpool or a, a depot in Liverpool and he said to Uh, this chap called Baker Uh, there's missing doctor who in there and there'll be an announcement soon or something and I think when he got that home that didn't have in what he expected it to be and so uh, the the MO in Nigeria was fulfilled to get all of the the film stores sent to one central place and then shipped back and it just so happens that is the shipment that was quoted for which was Ian Levine's 10 ton of proof So there was a a company called C-Rates, who will give you a quote for shipping things around the globe. And famously, there was a a 10-ton shipment that Phil Morris sent from Abuja to Liverpool. And my understanding is that was the shipment of everything else. So he went through all of that, and found more of the Doctor Who that had been found. And the, the missing, the net The balance of everything was that Web of Fear 3 was missing. So when you say what is going on in the background at that point, I think Phil Morris is looking for Web 3, and therefore it becomes inconvenient for for Paul to be continuing the Africa search threads. I think Phil Morris is probably pretty pissed off about life at that point. That's what's going on, and that's why things started to get shut down.
0: Was it Vanessa shutting things down to protect Morris, or...? Was it Morris shutting things down to protect
2: Morris? (laughs) I think everybody started shutting things down to protect the episodes. Fair enough. And uh, my suspicion is that not everyone might have agreed on the best way to go about that. My understanding is that the two Terry Bennett episodes that turned up in 2011 didn't help things because the BBC then started to stick its oar in. So I, I can't really answer your question without getting sued. Okay. Or without you getting sued, I mean it's your podcast (laughs) and and you failed to control a guest. But (laughs) I'll tell you something else that happened that was interesting at that time. Paul Venezis has since relayed that it's at that time where the BBC was showing interest in light of Galaxy Four and Underwater Menace showing up, that he provided a list to Caroline Skinner. Or not provided a list per se, but gave a summary of what he thought could be found out there. And that's based on the bicycling knowledge at the time. So perhaps he said um, Marco Polo, uh, Reign of Terror, The Crusade, and whatever else was on that list, but potentially the season three episodes in Sierra Leone. I think at the time he was maybe also looking into a chap in Melbourne, not Melbourne, but Melbourne, Melbourne, who was purporting to also have 17 or 18 episodes. And Paul has presented the story that it's this list, this story that he told Caroline Skinner, which mutated into the rumors of a more substantial find than the nine episodes or ten episodes which actually were found. So that was going on as well. Yeah. Which then blossomed in 2013 to uh, a sort of mixture of Everybody catching up with these large numbers, which everybody was talking about, and the reality of the, the situation, which the nine episodes were going to be handed over at some point, and were in mid 2013.
0: You making that point there about people talking. What what do you, did you make then, and what do you make now of the fan reaction, and the way certain individuals seem to become conduits of information to fandom more generally what what did you think at that point about all that
2: 2013 I was in the midst of it and I was hearing the same sort of things as everybody else I didn't have really good contacts but I would have a phone call every night from people like Charles Daniels or we'd have conversations and everyone would be trying to piece together what they'd heard and uh you talked to the prominent the prominent um I'm not using it as a pejorative. I just can't think of anything else. It became a very sensitive word mm. at one point. But the, the main rumour mongers, yes. um, we were talking to them and, and finding out uh, what they knew. And, you know, it was heady days. There's two parts to that. One is the fans were being unfairly maligned for discussing this stuff and and being blamed and being ridiculed. Uh, as a reaction by those who knew better. That was going on. And fans were also blaming and maligning and ridiculing and factionalizing amongst themselves. And I was was knee-deep in all that. I kept changing my mind, and it, it all got very messy, didn't it? And then what happened, personally, is in February 2014, where everything was still on, you know, there were still loads of episodes coming back, I managed to speak to a member of the restoration team and he put me in no uncertain terms as to what the reality of the situation was but you're in a tricky position there aren't you because these people are going to say that they would say that wouldn't they mm-hmm. but the, the the context of what he told me um, in that he wasn't too complimentary about certain people involved because they were expecting to have work for a very long time restoring episodes uh and and that work wasn't there so it became a financial matter almost uh so that 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 context of well there is no more really grounded me then and then my mission became to try and dismiss as much as possible and try and get down to the core truth of what is going on. And unfortunately, because of the unreliability of, of what the main protagonists on the forums were saying was was starting to be proven wrong, then you can just dismiss that source. Might be right, might be wrong, not worth worrying about. There's other things that you can go to. Uh, and, and my focus, and I'll say our focus... Uh, me and my mates focus became well let's get to grips with how could this have happened why would it have happened Um, and so we started focusing on on the Africa search especially looking at bicycling prints seeing what was plausible and possible testing the theory writing to the experts saying well for instance it's been alleged that that power of the Daleks has been found in an African country where it wasn't broadcast let's test that theory and let's see how it could have happened and so from 2014 to 2015 I was firmly in the picture that nothing else was back and nothing was being worked on but I was trying to work out how it all came about Um, and that's been the last six years really in that I'm now thoroughly persuaded that everybody thought lots were coming back and that hasn't transpired. So, looking back on those six years, um,
1: yeah,
2: seven
0: years. Gosh, seven, yeah, the, the time does fly, doesn't it? Looking back on that time <laughs> where you're doing those checks yeah. and, and you've arrived at this point, um yeah. are you are you disappointed with where we've landed with regards to Phil Morris's search, or is it a more you've, you've reached an equilibrium where you, you you can say, look, the expectations were unfounded and unrealistic. But, in terms of what Phil found and
2: returned i th- we're phantom is more ahead than behind that's a jolly interesting question and i I've been musing that yesterday in preparation for this um because my argument has always been if in twenty eleven you'd have told me that i I'd be uh, glued to A particular rumor or set of circumstances or bicycling of film prints for for 10 years but it's all false apart from you're going to get nine episodes there was always a time where i would go oh take your hand off (laughs) um and i've started to wonder if that that has started to be in the balance now Mm. because there's probably a ridiculous thing to be saying out loud but I think a way to answer that question is is what would my attitude to Phil Morris be if he handed over 30 episodes tomorrow right and I think my answer would be I'd be absolutely ecstatic to have the episodes back but could we kindly never hear from you again Okay, Does <laughs> is, is that sound harsh? Does that sound unkind? Should I add context? In that what's happened in, in, in the last eight years is that he spent two years telling everyone, keep tuned, mm-hmm. um, keep watching. I'm going to tell the whole story in words, pictures, the rest of it. Have faith. Tear brings hope. Wind
1: blowing in the right direction.
2: Famously, infamously. Uh, the wind is blowing in the right direction. And... He does all this for free. This is going to blow some doors off, and he had an enormous amount of goodwill. Quite rightly, I was even saying, if he's gone and found all this stuff and he's put his life in danger, give him, get, get him in the New Year's honours. You know, I yeah. actually said that at one point. And sadly, what's transpired since then is uh, is that um, none of that has been paid off. And instead what we have is someone who's invested in the inverted commas culture wars. and He's being incredibly hostile to anybody who likes Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. And um, he's saying some quite dodgy things online. And, you know, if anybody asks him about him now, he, he sort of is hostile about it and says, oh, it's always bloody Doctor Who, isn't it? and get over it this was years ago um and everyone has is very very invested in this and has been and, and continues to be and and it, it seems like he hasn't lived up to his word and another thing that that i've started feeling a lot more recently is that he has a duty now to explain where he's been and what he's found on facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago someone posted a video about the state of the algerian film archive and that it sat there literally rotting on the shelf Uh, i think this video was three or four years old but it doesn't matter the point doesn't change in that well has has phil morris been to algeria we're in a different age now to the way things were 10 years ago in that these underfunded TV stations in Timbuktu or wherever—they've all got Facebook accounts. They're all accessible. Should we be having conversation? I say, would someone responsible be revisiting all that now? Because we—is he ever going to say where he's been? Is there film set rotting somewhere that he hasn't been to? But you can't ask him about it. No one will talk about it. So, at what point is the window closed for this this material that's set in wherever it may be uh, rotting? Mm. When when is that window gone? What has Phil Morris got? We will never know.
0: You're saying that there's a greater responsibility now, given uh, the the time that has gone by, for Phil Morris and other people involved uh, at that time to to now speak up, because it's always been a great... I mean, you can come up with ideas as to why Phil has remained ambiguous... Um, yeah. but it, it, it's now well past that point where an accounting of everything, as you indicated before, needs to be made because there is the possibility of you know film and television heritage literally rotting on the shelves for want of people moving on that because they're still waiting for Phil and others to speak up. Would that be...
2: When people have asked Phil about it, he just says, "Oh, I've been to everywhere that sold Doctor Who. Don't worry, I'm all over it. I'm all over it like a tramp on ships. You don't need to worry about that. But when he's told five different stories about what happened to the web of fear and he's talking in a very loose way and a non-factual way about the movement of film prints and so on you start I. I. you start to want to actually know what the data is because i mean do you guys have faith that 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 he's he's been everywhere and got everything and everything that's fa- everything that is there to be found has been found?
0: I need more evidence than mere faith. So that's why, you know, I asked the question and and, and, and would rely would like to see uh, a presentation, you know, from Phil with, you know, facts to back up back that all up. I mean, yeah. look, you know, it's fantastic that Phil went out and, you know, he, he went to these places and he he put himself in personal danger and he, he did return with some episodes. Mm-hmm. It is beyond the beyond time now for, for, for him to speak up. Um, and mm. I think as importantly, if not even more importantly for me anyway, all those people who were, you know, the Paul Venezes of the world who, as you say, were the, were the sort of the master controller at one point, they know something, well, not, not something, I think they know a lot. What is it that mm. has stayed their tongue? Why are, are they a, are they afraid of causing offence? Are they afraid of stepping on someone else's toes? It, it, it's just it's one of those great <laughs> mysteries to me anyway.
2: Or maybe... Maybe he is still the best chance. Hmm. Anything could have happened. They could have believed he had a lot. They may still think he has a lot. They may think he's full of it. I don't know. But he still may be one of the best chances to recover material. So why would you throw the guy under the bus? Perhaps. Yes. It's very difficult. And to answer the question, does he still have more Doctor Who? Well, there's there's two arguments that I constantly grapple with. One is um, it's worth money, this stuff. So why hasn't he handed it over? If he, if an episode is worth ballpark figure five thousand pounds to him, that he'll get paid via a research fee or whatever it is via the BBC, if he's got, uh, if he's got say, twenty episodes of Doctor Who well that's that that will pay off the mortgage which appears to be sitting on his um accounts <laughs> <laughs> yes all publicly available information of course and so you wonder why he hasn't done that and then you also look at the nature of what has been returned thank you very much mr morris they're all lovely but the it's been um it's been a downward graph hasn't it so nine episodes of doctor who becomes uh the next reveal i think was um two episodes of Morkham and Wise which is quite good yes quite high profile went out on the BBC that's lovely and then you you're sort of watching one third of a niche Liverpool pop group uh, eating a plate of eclairs and I mean don't get me wrong the the scaffolds are and were a, a big deal compared to other acts but even the Liverpool Echo didn't pick up the story uh and phil by his own weight and enthusiasm mustered some sort of press coverage for it and, and got on the tv again but that's the last we heard is it not um oh there were some other comedy finds weren't there um an episode of the rag trade i think was mentioned uh citizen james is it james yes um and so on but but these are diminishing returns and so if he's got a dad's army or a Doctor Who up his sleeve, why wouldn't you release that? And so and so, the answer, therefore, has to be no. The only glimmer of hope is that he's such an eccentric character, shall we say, and such a stubborn bloke that, well, if you're mad enough to go looking in Africa for missing episodes, you're also mad enough to hold on to stuff for whatever reason makes sense to you and and that's the mystery that that keeps us hooked mm. i guess and 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 how how in 2013 every man and their dog is convinced that he's got the power of the daleks it's a fascinating idea of how that could not be true yep <laughs> to me <laughs> to the point where you know everybody thought he had it everybody and i mean everybody every single name you could conjure up that is associated with this saga mm. believed in 2013 that Phil had The Power of the Daleks and that it had been found in an African TV station where it shouldn't have been broadcast Yes um, I'm absolutely certain of it and then the <laughs> and then, like London buses there's a the possibility of another copy being found in um, Melbourne
0: It is remarkable where it all you know to... Where the whole conversation with regards to the Omni rumor went. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of the speculation and the deep-seated belief amongst a lot of people as to you know what Morris had yeah. alleged to have found, but it really has just all sort of petered away. He's, he's that that goodwill that he, as you say, the goodwill that he built up is almost you know gone. Um, he's basically just a character on 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 Twitter saying saying things that he obviously believes in, but it's nothing to do with what we're really interested in, is it?
2: No, it's not. At all, I'm not interested in any political arguments on Twitter about anything, least of all, uh, good grief, uh, culture war, inverted yeah. commas stuff. Yeah, but the, the, the other important thing to mention is that, that him not revealing what he has and being able to convince people that he has things has caused potential damage. So, uh, if I can just plug my own podcast, if you go and listen to episode one about Marco Polo, and again, this is you know, all gleaned from conversations over the years, so should probably go under the umbrella allegedly. But I talk about, shall we call him Mr. Melbourne? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, rocking up with these. With these alleged film prints. He was found, by the way. He wasn't. He was found, as what he had, and he said, I've got ABCXYZ. So they didn't think he was a hoaxer. The story goes that Australian Missing Episodes Supremo Damien Shanahan, who somebody needs to interview stats because I think he's got a fascinating story. <laughs> Absolutely. He said to the, uh, the Hive Mind, the Missing Episodes Collective, team Venezes what do I do here because this guy is showing me a uh, sight scene an opportunity to buy the Marco Polo prints and if I don't get them off him he'll never speak to me again or he'll break my legs or whatever the rumor is yep and Phil Morris chimes up allegedly with well you know uh, well if I happen to find a copy then you'll have wasted all your money and so Damien Shanahan walks away in the belief that anybody who says that has a copy of Marco Polo yep <laughs> Yeah. who knows what opportunities are being missed who knows what other people might have got enthused by the idea of searching in the last eight years and started bottoming out interesting little niches like Australian film schools uh-huh. where they might have been cutting the stuff up and might have a shed out the back or delving into former BBC employees or whatnot but Phil Morris has said he's done all this yeah so you don't need to worry so who knows what's been missed by this point? That's the great shame of it. Yeah.
1: I mean there's always that story where you yeah, that guy who apparently, you know, is bandsawing you know two hundred episodes of Doctor Who and out of the unknown <laughs> and yet in 75, they were sent back to uh, Villiers' house and um, some of them went walkies and potentially yeah, make no. up some of those six episodes. It was originally, I think, four, Venisa said, and then it was bumped up to six by
2: Phil. Oh, well, you might as well ask the cat in that regard. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I'll ask him later. He might know. <laughs> but then fandom doesn't help itself, does it? In that um, the rumours came on in the same old way and they were... Passed in the same old way to badly paraphrase Wellington uh in that I think Phil uh, Paul just said he's got bigger fish to fry which to me is a pretty innocuous phrase uh, but then everyone was saying well they're fish related episodes so it's definitely the <laughs> underwater menace and I can't think of another fish episode off, off the top of my head fandom is a it's been described by others and i think it's brilliant as a tinder dry grassland ready to be ignited by any old thing Mm. Uh, but that isn't what happened in 2013 there was substance there
1: does anybody have any uh guesses or in terms of what these six missing episodes that are kicking around allegedly are i mean assuming most of them are from private obviously they're seeing private collections does anybody have any guesses in terms of what they are, or any insight?
2: I'm not willing to entertain what the six are because it's from Phil Morris, and, and I just don't think there's any value in trying to work out what he says. But um,
1: Venezes, though, Venezes did say there was four. Well,
2: that's the more interesting mm. one, in that in that he said, did he not, that they are both Hartnell episodes, and originally he said um, that one of them is amongst the australian returns the australian 75 returns list and the other one isn't Mm. so Mm. then straight away you're you're sort of thinking well one of them is probably the reign of terror Mm. yes because he's often talked about the reign of terror and then who knows what the other one could be but it's it's possibly season three uh i can't remember what the australian returns list is off the top of my head but then recently he changed his tune he said at the time he thought one of them, the one that was an Australian Return, was in fact not. Which was a pretty big clue in my eyes, because you'd have to think of an episode which you'd assume is on the Australia Return, but isn't. So you're thinking season three, and then you have to go and find out which season three episodes weren't on that list found at the ABC by by Shanahan. And you get to the massacre. So the two episodes I, I, I would speculate that Paul is talking about is one of the Reign of Terror and one of the Massacre, which would be very excellent if this is true and the comfort is that if indeed it's true um that that paul knows where they are so if if we're waiting for this collector to kick the bucket paul knows they're there yeah the bigger problem is that collectors who don't know what they have their contents are going to end up on a on a landfill Mm. um somewhere yeah uh, so that would be my speculation. The worry for me is less so the Collector kicking the bucket, but
0: more so Paul Venese's passing away, because who has he told who the Collector is? Keep well, Paul. <laughs> yes. Eat your greens and exercise regularly.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm sort of comforted, because in this particular realm of, of fandom, uh, I'm very conscious that I'm you know in my 40s, but I'm just about the youngest one. around so i i keep thinking i'm fancying my chances so you lot can can sod off first and (laughs) you know i might be one of the last people standing with an interest in that well that's another point about phil isn't it i mean if he thinks he's if he's holding on to these things because he thinks posterity will benefit somehow no one's going to give a shit after we've gone are they no (laughs) no let's be frank i was just going to say ask tim
0: um, you mentioned, you know, that uh, the group of people after the uh, unveiling of Capaldi all sat around and were just chatting about nothing other yep. than the Omni rumor. Yep. Just out of curiosity, where are all those people, those those friends that you had, those contacts? Where are they now, in terms of their interest and where they sit
2: with regards to what what's gone on? That was a one-off meeting for lots of them, but in terms of in terms of my click, if you like, well, I record a podcast with one of them, so we're still both interested and confused and and fascinated by that i think most people have just reached the conclusion that so much time has elapsed and he would have cashed in his chips by now yeah had he had anything and i'm not uh, name dropping or anything but i've spoken to many people now who are involved or were involved and you don't get the same answer from person to person the last conversation i had said well he 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 believes he has all these things and he's playing some sort of monetary waiting game and i don't believe that makes sense as i've spelled out but you Mm. you speak to other people who are you know loosely connected or involved and they they think he he was full of he's such a confused confusing man to try and decipher that nobody knows everyone knows what they believed in 2013 and and i and i guess it becomes a matter of interpretation uh faith, everybody has a, a different opinion about it, frankly. No matter where they are on the ladder, so to speak. Exactly. My my speculation would be if you if you tied down Paul Venezes and said put your arm up his back, has he got X, Y, and Z? My speculation is that he'd say I don't know.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Which is disheartening, but that's there's a reality to, reality there, isn't
2: there? Yeah.
1: Do you think Phil's been, like, buying up private collections and stuff like that comedy stuff? That wasn't all recovered from Africa, was it? Even though he said it was. (laughs) What do you
2: think? Well, the episode of Here's Harry was found in Joss. Mm. And he hasn't revealed this. But it was definitely found in Joss. He said he found one in Monte Carlo, didn't he? Yes. On a yacht, was it? I don't know. There's always a piece of furniture involved. It was either under a carpet or behind a cupboard or under a standing (laughs) lamp or on top of the wardrobe or something, but he found one in Monte Carlo. There are stories that he's been buying at private collections. There are stories that that Power of the Daleks episode 6 has been seen in his holdings, in his shed, um, bought from a private collection. The 35mm copy that somehow survived destruction. Um... But there are so many stories. The All these stories only go back to a handful of people, and they're all unreliable narrators. So we're really at the point now where we need facts. So, Tim, what story would you like to see recovered? I've just bored everyone to tears for a few months <laughs> doing these polls on Twitter. <laughs> and the more I've thought about it, the more I've... Like, the Reign of Terror, which came in... Uh, as the strongest story and that it was holding the rest up in the chart I really want to see the Reign of Terror all of a sudden because I've been thinking about it Uh, so I really really would settle for anything Uh, we've seen the power of uh, the Daleks no we've seen the power of what one episode returning to a story can do Mm. with the Underwater Menace 2 which then nicely leads into what was previously a really random episode 3 of the underwater menace in terms of personal favorites my absolute personal favorite story of all time i think is the mythmakers uh but that's not necessarily what i'd like to see back most because i can enjoy the mythmakers on audio yeah maybe something else from season 3 maybe anything just anything Anything at all. Space Pirates 1. I'd love (laughs) to see the Space Pirates 1. I'd love to see any of the Space Pirates at all, because it will cause re-evaluation, it will cause better understanding, it will will shift our perception of what 60s Doctor Who Series 6 is, Um, it will make the viewing experience different, whatever is found. I'm really desperate for anything. Favourite story of the Myth Makers, but I'll take absolutely anything.
1: So anybody who's based in Wigan and is uh, of a uh, Liverpudlian extraction.
2: That's half of Wigan.
1: <laughs> Mark, what missing episode would
0: you like to see back?
1: I keep changing my mind all the time, but I would definitely love to see um, Evil of the Daleks. Don't go for the crowd please. I oh, know, Evil of for... the Daleks, but also I actually want to see The Massacre, but also some more of Dalek Master Plan as well.
0: Hmm.
1: What about you, Robbie?
0: I'm... Um, common as muck so i tend to go for the, the crowd pleasers i'd like to see you know more of power simply so that at least someone can say that they found more of it than me <laughs> um, <but laughs> it's always with the ego with me isn't it always with the ego i would like to see an episode of the savages because yeah it just looks different it looks interesting and no one talks about it or very few people
2: another one i want to see strangely a specific episode is episode one of the abominable Snowman. I just find myself, when I listen to it, really wanting to see that stuff with the chest in the TARDIS and um, the, 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 the stuff with Jack Watling in episode one. I don't know why I find that mm. particularly compelling that I want to see it. And I've seen Jack Watling absolutely everywhere in the last few months. God, he's in everything.
1: That's not bad for a dead guy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a <about>. bad. <laughs> what have you seen him in, Tim? What have you, what, what have you been watching? Oh, that you've seen gosh. Him in? Basically, any war film. I've been watching a few war films. He's in those. Yesterday, I watched The Admirable Crichton uh, with Kenneth Moore, and he was in that. Um, there's a series I've been watching called Pathfinders, which is not the sci-fi Pathfinders, but it's about uh, the first wave of bombers in the war would go over and they would drop flares onto the, the bomb sites. He's a major character in that. Which also has Jack May out of uh, the Space Pirates. Uh, He's equally as awkward in that. (laughs) But (laughs) We're going to be too late again. Um, Yeah, no, he's just popping up absolutely everywhere, which is just one of those phases, I guess.
0: You do tend to see the same actor when you're sort of watching a lot of stuff of a particular genre, of a particular era. We've been talking a lot about missing episodes, but there is actually... A missing episode podcast. Is that?
2: Huh? Yes,
0: <laughs> which I adore, and it is hosted by our guest tonight, Tim. First off, Tim, I'd like to congratulate you on the podcast. I think it is some of the best podcasting. Uh, know, Doctor so Who related, yeah, and outside of Doctor Who that I've heard in a long time. Your guests are smart. Their their conversation is, you know, really engaging, uh, and your ability to, your ability to marshal it all together. Uh, and hold that your end of the conversation is just it really is great to listen to it's great listening and i'd wholeheartedly recommend people who aren't really that interested in missing episodes to listen to this particular podcast because i think it's a great resource for future listeners and future fans thank you tell us a little bit about it mate
2: well um have you heard of the global pandemic that's that's taken root over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. i I don't know if you get this sort of news down there no not at all we
0: don't get much news from outside australia unfortunately (laughs) a little bit insular uh
2: long story short i i hosted a podcast before and that was uh a mixed experience and i I, you know i talked to you about it and i'd be i'd be very frustrated with how that was going and um our passions were always ignited when we started talking about missing episodes and a friend of mine paul morris uh who lives nearby and you know we drink in the tavern and and so on uh we've talked a lot about missing episodes and so the first podcast stopped that was called the Grumpcast, and i went away for a while and paul and i had grandiose plans and schemes to do the best podcast going about doctor who per se we were going to get guests and um it was going to be marvelous and brilliant and then you know as these plans often go it never happened and we heard another podcast that covered missing episodes and i thought gosh i think we can do not better but i think we can bottom this out a little bit more so i just messaged paul and said should me and you just me and him do a story by story review of, of the missing episodes and we both agreed that would be good so we recorded the first one and then made the horrible mistake of getting a guest on the second one and it was greg beckon and he was brilliant
1: hmm.
2: but the bar had then been set and so we then started to st- start thinking well gosh this is going to become a real interview about missing episodes so greg talked about the, the animating of the reign of terror and his involvement in a project that didn't work and that's fascinating and greg's such a raconteur anyway uh, accomplished podcaster in his own right he really got us off on a good footing so then we started thinking as we go forward who can we get involved and paul Schoon's popped up uh, and you know we said to paul come and tell us about about the recovery of the lion and we had a a real live missing episode hunter on talking about that and that was fascinating and so the pleasurable bit is really watching the stories and trying to get under the skin of it and then giving mine and Paul's interpretation and then we we, we're very lucky in that we've had some brilliant guests on to talk about anything from finding an episode to the bicycling of prince to uh the last one that went out was gavin Rymel talking about the um the draft terry nation scripts and what might have been um and we've been blessed to get these wonderful guests uh, which keeps the pressure up to <laughs> keep getting these great <laughs> guests in but the, the the response has been phenomenal it's fun to prepare it's very hard work to produce if i'm honest uh, because the bar is there now and we feel a certain amount of pressure to do it um uh, we were very productive during lockdown because I was furloughed. So I had months to do this stuff. But um, (coughs) the realization over the last few months as real life has got involved in a big way, and things have been going on is that, that it needs to be done out of love. And it needs to be done when the pressure is off in real life. And so it's going to become a more occasional thing. And there hasn't been one for a few months now, but, well, Rob, you're going to talk on the next one briefly about Australian airports and lockups and things, aren't you? Yes, very much so. So it's well in the planning, the next one, but, you know, it'll be a long when it's a long... There's no rush. It's a finite project, isn't it? So it can take its time. Uh, I'm hoping there'll be a recovery before I knock out the next episode, but I don't know <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> No, but the response has been fantastic. Uh, I feel like an amateur. I feel like faking it till I'm making it i i read and research and, and don't have all this knowledge embedded so it's a pleasure learning it all for me uh and basically the trick is i read from my notes and set up the conversation and then you have someone like paul who is truly embedded in it who can really you know give great insights into how things work we're both enormously embedded in the missing episode stuff so we can talk about bicycling prints but we're basically pilfering off the forums mm. and <laughs> and what's been published there, but putting it in one That's point. Exactly right. And it, it's been enormously well-received. So thank you for your lovely, kind words. And Mark, you're coming on at some point, aren't you, to talk about faceless ones. Yeah.
1: Yes, I've been watching my 16mm film prints of that story, <laughs> so uh, I'm ready to it, go.
2: Is it good? It's tolerable. That's the spoilers. Let's save it. Don't wear out your prints. Rob, I've heard a rumour, I don't know if it's true, but that you recovered some of Power of the Daleks. It's hardly ever mentioned, so I forget whether it's you <laughs> or sometimes Mark, but um, you're going to come on and tell us about that when we get yes. to Power. Yes,
0: yes, I get to re- relate that story once again and bask in the glory of myself.
2: <laughs> so
1: It's the uh, 42 doomsday equivalent of the iPads joke. Every time I turned around, <laughs> Rob is regaling his Power of the Dalek story again.
2: Well... We can mock, and we do. (laughs) We're very grateful. It is a remarkable thing in itself, and you should be really proud of it, Rob. You should talk about it more. I will. But only on my podcast. For sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Should we say we we can find the Missing Episode podcast, or is it just at your local um, podcasting uh, catcher?
2: Put it into uh, Google or Ask Jeeves or something and and look for the Doctor Who Missing Episodes podcast. It's there. It's on Podbean's. It's on iTunes. It's on... Uh, Amazon, it's on Google uh, it's probably on any number of things, uh, I'm on Twitter and don't ask me why this is my handle but it's at Doctor Who Podcasters with a D-R, you can find all sorts of links there and, and fascinating polls
0: yes, extensively <laughs> fascinating
2: <laughs> and uh, top banter uh, and so on, so yeah, it, it's easy enough to find, it, it comes up fairly near the top of any missing episodes uh Google search, or also on YouTube, if you, if you want to listen to it.
1: It's been nice to actually um, respond to polls as opposed to when I see a poll that sort of has a classic episode versus New Who episode, I always go the, the classic just to annoy people. <laughs> your poll has actually made me think a bit and go, do I really want to see that? Oh, it's another semi-final. I'll go and I'll vote for this one. I'll vote for this one. I really have to think about it. So,
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting consideration, isn't it? You're thinking about your passion for the story and then you think about what exists and then you think about how it's represented. Um And it's an interesting series of equations that everyone needs to go through. But there were a few surprises there. Space Pirates did really well, so that was nice.
1: Everybody's obsessed with Space Pirates, aren't they? All of a sudden, they are, yeah. One day we might see it back. Who knows, one day? Maybe. Thank you very much, Tim, for joining us today or tonight or this morning. I know it's a bit different (laughs) (laughs) time zones and everything
2: like that, but thank you very much. My pleasure. What an honour. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Yes. Hopefully we'll get, uh, if there's a recovery soon or in the next, well, hopefully before we all pop off, uh, we'll get you back in our Zimmer frames and, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get you back on to talk about, hopefully, some good news. But, um, yeah, I, I just want to echo Rob's uh, sentiments as well. I think your podcast is excellent, particularly like the Mythmakers one, because I know you like that story, but I thought uh, Toby
0: was a great guest to, to have on as well. Oh, he was brilliant, wasn't he? So, uh, well done, and I wish you all the all the best. Thank you very much, Tim, as as well, for coming on. It's uh, always a pleasure to listen to someone who has uh, thought deeply, researched deeply, and has got some interesting questions to ask about what really is a fascinating and frustrating area of, of fandom, the Omni Rumour? Thanks to everyone for listening in, and uh, we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of Forty Two to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at Forty Two to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at Facebook.com forward slash Forty Two to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at Forty Two to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, Forty Two to Doomsday where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon. All right, are we ready, Mark? Let's make magic. Really? Okay. (laughs) Christ.